0: But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to worship with you this morning. I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) Um... We have been, in the spring, what we did was we looked at, after Easter, we looked at the triumph of Jesus' ministry. And we looked at some of the results of his ascension and then sending his spirit to live in, in us. And, which defines Christian life and what that looks like and some of the freedom we have. And so now we're looking, we've moved on to a new series, The Fruit of the Spirit. And we're gonna, for the rest of the summer, into, just into the beginning of the fall, we're gonna be looking at what the fruit of the spirit is. Very specifically, this year, this week, we're looking at joy. The fruit of the spirit is joy. Now, remember the context for the fruit. Uh, the word "fruit" in Greek, in the original languages, is singular. So that all of those things that you see on the screen and in your Bible are actually aspects of one fruit. So it's important to remember that although we're focusing in and slowing down and zeroing in on uh, various aspects of the fruit. It's all the fruit of God's Spirit. It's one fruit. Very important. Later on, we'll hopefully get to some applications for that. Well, John Damien is an accomplished guitarist, and he's taught many of the current jazz greats. I I was just um, listening. We had our stereo set up uh, at our home, and I was listening to uh, Bill Frizzell. Nashville albums, one of my favorite albums. Bill is uh, great with sound textures and uh, the way that he uh, communicates colors and texture through sound. And uh, so he was taught by Bill, he was taught by John Damien. I had the chance to study with John for a year or so and deeply admired his endless curiosity over his instrument. He already knew it so well, and yet he continued to display such curiosity such childlike fascination with it. And his curiosity with the guitar began right away when he first began playing. He writes this about it. He writes, I still remember holding my first guitar. It was a big old sunburst. Acoustic F-hole harmony arch top. It was a $25 chunk of beauty. I remember the excitement of picking out my first chord and finding where the black dots on those chord diagrams were on the fingerboard. My first major seventh chord was pure ecstasy. I was like a child turning over rocks to find strange creatures lurking underneath. Now, in a similar way, when we approach the subject of Christian joy, we are like children turning over rocks, finding out unique and wonderful things about our Lord. We bring our curiosity as we draw near to the Lord through his word on joy, and the Lord meets us there. He presents an endless array of aspects about who He is and what He's done on our behalf. Jesus says that our faith should be like a child in this regard. We should be turning over rocks to discover all of the wonderful things about our Savior. And so we're going to have a chance to do a little bit of that this morning and find out about some of the unique and wonderful things about the joy that the Lord brings us. Our subject this morning is the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, joy. And we're going to look briefly at some background for our passage. We're going to look at the fact that God is the giver of our joy. And we're also going to look at the fact that God is the object of our joy. Now, briefly, some background for our passage. John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, points something out. And and as a side note, if you're ever looking to get to know this book better, one of the great little one-volume commentary series that you can get, it's in paperback now, It's called The Bible Speaks Today. It's by IVP, University Press. And their one-volume commentaries are great. John Stott is a New Testament series editor, and he he does a couple of the commentaries himself. He says this, The main emphasis in the second half of the epistle to the Galatians is that in Christ, life is liberty. Life is liberty in Christ. So, for example, in chapter 5, a little earlier in verses 13 through 15, Paul has emphasized that true Christian liberty expresses itself in a couple of things. Okay? It expresses itself in self-control. He says, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your liberty, your freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh. He also says that we should be about loving service of our neighbor. That's what Paul writes. He says, Through love... Serve one another, and then he also says that obedience to God's law is still important. The law is fulfilled when you love your neighbor as yourself. Is what Paul writes earlier in the chapter. Now the question is, how in the world are these things possible? How are these possible for us? And the answer is, by the Holy Spirit. He alone can truly set us free. He's presented as our sanctifier. Sanctification means set aside for God, for his purposes. And uh, he's the one who alone can oppose and subdue our, fresh, our flesh. It says, the walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They're opposed to one another. It also says that uh, he enables, the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law so that we are delivered from the law's harsh dominion. The law is a very harsh taskmaster. We're going to look at some of the reasons why in a few moments. Paul says that you're led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. And then uh, he also says that the cause of the fruit of righteousness to grow in our lives is the Spirit. The law cannot come against the fruit of God's Spirit expressed in our lives. There is no law against God's Spirit expressed in our lives. So the enjoyment of Christian liberty depends on the Holy Spirit. That's true, and it is Christ who sets us free, but without continuing directing and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit... Our liberty is bound to to degenerate. We won't have freedom at all. So, background. Right? There's there's some things going on in the Galatian churches that Paul is trying to address. Let's move on then to the God. The God is the giver of our glory. God is the giver of our joy. Early in chapter 5, there were some who were turning their liberty into license. In 5.13, we read this. For you were called to Freedom Brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What's happening there? Paul elaborates that the license that the Galatian Christians were engaging in was regarding their sexuality. It regard- they had license regarding their spirituality. They, had license, they were taking license regarding their social standing with one another. And they were taking license with their abuse of alcohol. There's a healthy list right before the passage that we have listed here. Take a look. There were problems in the Galatian church, in the different churches that Paul had founded. They had forgotten that God is holy. What happens when you forget that God is holy? It leads you to a weak view of your brokenness, of your need, of your sinfulness. That you are, in fact, without hope except for what Jesus has done. That can happen to us too. The idea of forgetting God's holiness, the idea of uh, too weak a view of our sin. How do you know when it's happening, though? What are the symptoms? There are a couple of to look for. First, we become presumptuous. We become presumptuous. We take God's law lightly. We have tendencies towards self-actualization. You know what that is? It's a psychological term referring to our being motivated to realize our own full potential. It refers to when all the basic and mental needs are fulfilled and the actualization of our full personal potential takes place. Now, listen. I read a book recently called The Art of Learning. It was written by Josh Waitskin. Do you know Josh Waitzkin? He was the guy uh, after whom the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer was written. Master chess player when he was young. And he took that as far as he could go until he was about 19, and then he came away from chess. And he kind of burned out for a while, and then he began to study at the recommendation of a friend some Tai Chi. did it in New York with a, an expert instructor from around the world. And what he did was he took the lessons that he had learned from chess and all those years of competing and he applied them to learning Tai Chi. And do you know that in three years he won third place in the world championship in China and in four years he won first place? That's unheard of. So his whole premise for that is that our learning continues. Our learning goes on. There's an open view of learning that says that we are not defined by who we are, we're not limited by our natural intelligence, we can actually continue to grow and learn. An old dog can learn new tricks. And the whole point of his book is to get that across and use himself as an example. But I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about that in absence of God being the first priority, the first one we learn about. You see, we fail to see our need for God because we believe that we are sufficient if we're free to follow whatever we think will fulfill us personally. Whatever we think will fulfill us personally. We have too weak a view of our sin when we think we are sufficient. We feel that we can't be free if God is to be obeyed totally. That's what we feel when we take license. We can't be free if we're going to obey God totally. We begin to resent God's claims and his sovereignty over our lives in the gospel. I'll never never forget the... um, Dr. Keller in New York talked about a a conversation that he had with a very high-costing prostitute. And you know, sort of work the upper echelons of society. And they sat down and they were having tea and they were talking about it. And he was explaining the gospel to her. And she got it. She said, wait a minute. If Jesus did all that for me, that means I can't just live any way I want. It means I'm not on my own anymore. I don't know if I can handle that. You see, we begin to resent God's claims and sovereignty over our lives. Next, some of the, again, what are the markers of license when we begin to descend into license? Not freedom, but license. Next, our relationship to Christian spiritual disciplines, basically, the combination of things hearing the word, prayer, worship, fellowship, community, ministry, and service. What happens? We show a slothfulness. We show a very slow sort of approach to those things. We're not very keen, uh, keen into them. We lack a conviction of our own sinfulness and we become immensely slow in using the means of grace. Why? Because of our resentment towards God. I've asked several occasions as we've explored the passages uh, about the victory of Jesus' ministry, the triumph of his ministry. And one of the things I ask is How are you doing reading his word daily? One of the disciplines. I'm asking now, are you slow to read it? Are you slow to open it up? Are you slow to approach God in prayer? Are you, sh- are you slow to put your hand towards a task where you see a need? Are you slow to meet that need with something that you've been given? Some gift that you've been given? Look, at the root of these symptoms is our own pride. We express our pride in unbelief. Unbelief of what? Our pride is expressed in unbelief of God's goodness. We think to ourselves, if I obey God totally, I'm going to be unhappy. If I obey him totally, I'm going to be unhappy. And when that happens, we put the weight of our identity into our own power, into our own comfort. We believe that we'll be okay if things go our way and life is comfortable. I've got to tell you, though, you'll never be free like that. You'll never taste true joy. The only way to have true joy is to delight in the salvation God gives us in Christ. To delight in it. Romans 15.3, I've used it as a benediction. I may use it as a benediction today as we go out of this worship service. you know what Paul writes? He writes this. May the God of hope do what? Fill you with what? With all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God has to fill you. You cannot do it yourself. The gospel does away with pride. Jesus had to die for you in order for you to be who you are meant to be. It's the only way. There's no self-actualization. There's only two ways to live. Either you begin with Jesus and what he does on your behalf, or you begin with yourself and what you're doing. If you begin with yourself, you will not be free to experience true joy. But if you begin with Jesus, admitting your need for him, admit your need, you'll be free to experience joy in a more profound way than you've ever imagined. Some of you might have heard this story, but Johnny Erickson Tata went to Ghana and is involved with ministries there. And she writes this, I will never forget the first disabled man I ever met in Ghana. It was my first day there. And I met him on the street outside the airport. This man crawled up to me on his hands, dragging his legs behind him. He gave me the biggest, brightest smile. And when he was introduced to me, he said, Johnny, welcome to our country where God is so much bigger. And she writes, at first I didn't know what he meant. And then he added, God is always bigger to those who need him most. And we need him. We really need him here in Ghana. So God is the one to give us our joy. But God is also the object of our joy. At the beginning of chapter 5, there are some we see who relapse from liberty in the bondage. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the churches he founded in these Galatian cities because they were being troubled by what? False teachers teaching another gospel. He talks about that in his letter. They were contradicting the gospel that was Paul was preaching. They were insisting that for salvation, more than faith in Christ was needed. They were insisting that. They were saying that you had to be circumcised as well, they said, and to keep all the law of Moses. This was so significant an issue that there was a special council held by the early church just to decide on it, just to make a decision. You can read about it later in Acts 15, verses 1 and 5, but I'll quote them here for you. But some men came down from Judea... And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to be circumcised. They need to be circumcised. And to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, where the Galatian churches were troubled here, they had remembered that God is holy. They had a strong view of their sin, but they had forgotten the love of God and they had a very weak view of his mercy. Now, once again, forgetting the love of God, having a weak view of his mercy, not being licentious, but being legalistic, can happen to us. What are the signs? Well, first, we feel guilty a lot. We're plagued with guilt. There's a lot of guilt in our lives. Because we take God's imputed righteousness too lightly. Do you know what imputed righteousness means? There's an old illustration that I like. Uh, Your life is written down in a book. And on that book is the cover with your name on it. And Jesus' life is written down in a book. And everything he did and said and spoke and was is in there. Just as yours is in yours. And his, on his cover is his name. And what happens in imputed righteousness is God takes the covers of both of those books and he exchanges them. So that everything that is true of Jesus, the punishment that he received, but also the life that he lived, both of those things are now true of you. All of the fullness of his life, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus now. Imputed righteousness. We feel. That we can't be worthy of salvation if it's totally by grace. Another marker of legalism is that our relationship to the Christian disciplines is also different. Hearing the word, prayer, worship, fellowship, community, ministry, service. What do they show in our lives? They show a drivenness. We do not perceive the intimacy available to us with God through the work of Jesus. We lack conviction about the security of our relationship with God. We use the means of grace as a way to try to assuage our guilt and discouragement. And it's not zeal, but drivenness. I was mentoring with a a pastor who's out in San Diego now, uh, Dick Kaufman. And I remember talking with him about how numb I felt in life in my early days in New York. I said, I I saw a sad movie, and I usually am a big sap with movies. I even like chick flicks and romantic, sappy movies, and I really love to watch all of that. And I usually even well up with tears. I said, I don't feel anything. I feel numb. What's going on? And he pointed out in my life that there was a busyness where I was driven. And he said, you might mistake it for zeal, but you'd be wrong because it owns you. You don't own it. He said, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, Jesus was zealous, but he was never driven. He waited. Sometimes he waited until the person died. He often went alone. A way to pray. He was zealous for God, for his kingdom. Seeking righteousness that was his to give. He was seeking that in our place. But he wasn't driven. He had zeal. At the root of these symptoms is also our pride, though. You know, if licentiousness, at the root of licentiousness is pride, at the root of legalism is pride as well. We, too, express our pride and unbelief of God's goodness. We think to ourselves... I can't believe that he will accept me the way that I am. I can't believe it. And when that happens, we put the weight of our identity into what others, including God, think of us. We believe that we'll be okay if we're loved and live up to all of our own standards. You'll never be free like that. You'll never taste true joy. The only way to have true joy is to delight in the beauty of God for who he is in and of himself. And he has won the freedom for you to be able to do that. He's beautiful. You know, Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And again, the prophet writes, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Luther writes this. I like reading Martin Luther. You've got to be prepared, though. He has some sermons that are uh, actually named with expletives in the title. He was was not afraid to take on the vernacular and preach the gospel with it. I have a a little more fear than Luther, but uh, I'll read this to you. This is what he says in his commentary on the Galatians. For the Father has sent his Son not to oppress us, not to oppress us, but to cheer up our souls in him. I've said this to you before, but are you discerning the Lord's voice in your life? When you're going throughout your day and you're starting to go into that place where you're having doubts, or where you're having guilt, or where you're having um, different kinds of things go on in your head and you wake up to the fact that that process is going on, are you able to say, wait a minute, that's not how Jesus talks to me. He delights in giving me joy. We have lots of things in this life that make us happy. But there's a joy in knowing God that transcends them all. There's a joy in knowing God that all of the good things that we participate in this life, Points to. C. S. Lewis in his autobiography wrote it this way. He said, It, joys in this life, are valuable only as a pointer to something other and outer. When we are lost in the woods, the sight of a signpost is a great matter. He who sees it first cries, Look and the whole party gathers round and stares. But when we have found the road and are passing signposts every few miles, we shall not stop and stare. They will encourage us And we should be grateful to the authority that set them up, but we shall not stop and stare, or not much, not on this road. We have relationship with God, intimacy with God through what Jesus has done. We can approach him boldly. We can approach him humbly. Now, first, we covered some of the background for our passage. The key point is that Christian liberty, our namesake, Expressing itself in joy is only possible through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit alone can make us free and keep us free. We cannot do it ourselves. Second, we covered that God is the giver of our joy. The key point is that to experience joy, you first must admit your need for God. You're broken. You cannot approach him on your own. Part of the gospel is that Jesus had to die for you he had to you must admit your need if you're going to find true joy third we covered that God is the object of our joy and the key point is that God loves you and it's only in his presence is only intimacy with him that in which you'll experience the freedom of Christian joy what are we talking about what is all of this pointing to The enjoyment of Christian liberty, expressed through joy in our lives, depends on the gospel. So what do you do from here? Well, be free in your freedom. Think about our namesake as you go about this week. Delight in the beauty of God. Remember the fact that God, although he had to die for you, he did die for you. He did so. Delight in the beauty of God. Be free in your salvation. God buys you back from slavery in Jesus. He does away with pride. He had to die for you. Be free in Jesus. Even in difficult times of loss, of disappointment, of pain, his love cannot be taken from you because it was taken from Jesus. The holiness and justice that Jesus had to face, if you're in him, you don't have to face You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to try so hard. All of that was unleashed upon him so that there's no fear and no pride but liberty, Christian joy, freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have stood in for us in the person of your son, Jesus, that we have an advocate, that we have a righteous one who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, and now intercedes for us, reminding you that we are yours. The book's covers have been changed, that what's true of Jesus is now true of us. And we, with boldness and humility coupled, ask you to be with us in our week as we live lives differently as a result, as we sense with our hearts the truth that we are understanding about the joy of your spirit with our mind. Be with us now. Go with us now. Continue to be with us for Jesus' sake. It's in his, his name we pray. Amen.